Hello, and welcome to Conversations at the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people that teach it. I'm Joe Stoltz, and in this episode, I'll sit down with Jeremy Ray, Mount Vernon's Manager of History Interpretation. Brief bit of housekeeping, uh, there are still tickets available for the August 9th book talk for uh, Craig Bruce Smith's book, American Honor, The Creation of the Nation's Ideals During the Revolutionary Era. Uh, so that should be very exciting. If you're going to be in the, the greater Northern Virginia, D.C. area, you should stop by and see us. Uh, and also, if you don't already follow us on uh, social media, at GW Books, on Instagram and Twitter, uh, we'd love to stay in touch with you through there. And we're also uh, on Facebook at The Washington Library. If you haven't already uh, reviewed or uh, signed up to subscribe to the podcast, we'd also appreciate it if you do that. And without further ado, here is my interview with uh, Jeremy Ray. Jeremy, thank you so much for, for joining us and coming on to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've, we've sort of already introduced you, but uh, just by way of background, uh, you know, I, a lot of the people that listen to our show are, are um, aspiring public historians. A lot of them are grad students in public history programs um, that would, frankly, like your job. <laughs> so uh, not that they're going to be competing with you for it uh, anytime soon, but, uh, you know, because you're here and not being fired, I think. Uh, would you just talk, how did, how did you end up here and how did you, uh, what, what, how did you get to be where you are? Well, it's actually kind of a funny story, really, and not the traditional public historian's pathway. Mm -hmm. Um, I've actually worked here for a little over 11 years, um, and I've worked almost every position there is in the history interpretation department. Uh, my college background, believe it or not, was in aerospace engineering at Virginia Tech. No future in aerospace. Uh, abs none. Absolutely, not none. Um, uh, my father was an aerospace engineer. I grew up in Florida and California watching the shuttle mm -hmm. and all these various uh, rockets go up. And it was, I read all the books on Apollo 13 and the space race and I uh, just couldn't get enough of it. So I went, went to school to pursue a degree in, in engineering and aerospace. And it wasn't until I was sitting doing the coursework that was like, you know what, maybe it was really more the history of the space race that actually mm -hmm. interested me and not so much the how to put together a satellite. and Was it in it, a math course up. when you were like, this is stupid? Shockingly, math was, was one of my strong suits. It was, it was applying that math into mm -hmm. a lot of the mm -hmm. engineering courses that I was not enjoying <laughs> myself. It was not really fun. Um, but throughout all of that, I've always had a love of history. Uh, and I was taking history courses throughout, and I said, you know what? I've always heard that if you, you do something that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. So I decided after speaking with uh, the deans and all that about transferring into history, I graduated with a degree in history. And then I said, well, what am I, what am I going to do? Um, uh, so I live in Fairfax County, have since 1994, and I started out working here at Mount Vernon as a part-time history interpreter. Uh, just got very lucky. I was very driven. I was very dedicated. Uh, picked up extra shifts, uh, did all the extra work, uh, and was rewarded very shortly thereafter, uh, about three months, uh, with a full-time position to be a history interpreter. Did that for about a year and a half and was promoted again to be the supervisor uh, so then I was in charge of the small day-to-day -day crew, um, managing the, the line, the, the tour paces, uh, responding to any issues that guests may have. 
Um, and then I had uh, a couple of other opportunities. Uh, there was I was offered a job at a very small museum in Richmond uh, that I applied to, and uh, the vice president here at the time uh, made some moves to try and keep me. He felt mm-hmm. I did a nice enough job, so I moved up into more an administrative role. I like you, you just politely you're like a nice enough job. Yeah. Well, you know it. There, there are always things to improve and do better, right? But um, so I moved up into an administrative role, and then, then a, a couple years back, I guess it's been about three years mm-hmm. now, I was promoted to be the the manager of history interpretation. So I, I work with uh, my colleagues putting together uh, the programs for our specialty tours, um, trying to revamp the logistics and how we operate the mansion tours to try to provide provide the best um, possible experience for the guests. Uh, you know, take in uh, comments from our guests and try to incorporate changes into what we do. And then, of course, just helping to hire and manage uh, a department of now close to 85 mm-hmm. uh, history interpreters. So. No, I mean, I think it's uh, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is because, one, you're a fun guy, and, and I talked to you. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be able to talk about our favorite topic, <laughs> which is D.C. United football. I got, I've got the socks on yeah. right now. so almost <laughs> United. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I think, uh, I, I think it's fair to say uh, that a lot of people don't realize just how big Mount Vernon is, yeah. uh, n- not in the sense of, like, the mansion itself, yeah. uh, but in terms of a, 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 the Mount Vernon Ladies Association uh, corporation that administers Mount Vernon. I mean, mm-hmm. it has, I think we're, we're approaching peak season. So how many employees will we have at this point, right? Uh, yeah, so in, in my in my department, um, we have 85 employees yeah. uh, that work work for me, and we it's have like 500 in as, across the estate. It, 500, season? 600 yeah. total across the estate. A lot of part time employees, but uh, yeah. that that work with the seasons. But yeah. you know, it, it's not unusual for me to have 25 to 30 in on a day yeah. uh, to cover all the various specialty tours that we book privately. And then, of course, to deal with the the number of guests who come to visit George Washington's home. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it's one of the things I know that just floored me when when I started here was when somebody brought up the one million number. Uh, one point one, yeah, one point one million people <laughs> is now. Oh, now is that is that visitors to the property or is that feet through the mansion? Uh, that's visitors to the property. Okay, yeah. Um, in any given day, I would say probably... Because you can have visitors that you know, are coming for other reasons than just visiting the mansion. That's why Correct. I asked that But I would still say uh, the mansion is the, the majority, the yeah. primary reason to come visit. Yeah. So we probably have 80% or higher of mm-hmm. that would be just my guess uh, going through the house. So it, it sees a lot of people walking through, a lot of traffic. Yeah, and I mean, we're going to be having a whole uh, another episode with some of the folks from our preservation department mm-hmm. to discuss how, how do you maintain a... a over 200-year-old home that, that has 800,000 guests trampling through it every mm-hmm. day. Um, but with you, I really wanted to talk about uh, how, do you, how do you actually organize all of those guests and, and, uh, and, and just manage that sort of number? Yeah, that, that is the challenge. And fortunately, it's not like it's 800,000 people, 1.1 yeah, million people, all, all evenly all, all at once or evenly spread out. Um, the majority of our year, we see a reasonable number mm-hmm. of people. Um, August, September, November, December, January, February are really nice times to come visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get 
uh, very nice one-on-one tour experience. We're able to provide one history interpreter who will escort you up to the house and all the way through, answer all your questions. But really, May, June, and July are kind of the peak visitation season. And the main reason for that is uh, student field mm-hmm. trips. Uh, a big blessing for us is our location to D.C., which we could thank George mm-hmm. Washington for. <laughs> uh, but because we're so close, we get a lot of the, of the D.C. visitor traffic. Um, so that it definitely becomes a, a challenge uh, to try and provide experiences. And, and that's one we've struggled. I've, as I said, I've been here 11 years, and when I first started here, it was a first-come, first-serve lineup system mm-hmm. to the mansion. So in June, April and June, where we would see 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 people in one day, uh, guests could wait up to two hours in line before they even went into the house. Um, and you put that in perspective, the average guest vis- visit is two to three hours. Yeah. They're spending all their time waiting in line and not really getting much of anything else. Uh, so we transitioned to a, a time ticketing system um, where we tried to, to manage uh, the, the guest flow up to the house, which helped. Um, fortunately, you had to kind of cut back on the the, the tour time itself uh, to do that. Um, so now what we do uh, is cater to the student groups and then try to cater to families mm-hmm. as much as we can. So we we actually have a period in the morning for students to go during through. During peak season or just in general? Yes, yeah, during, the peak peak season, yeah. during the peak season. Uh, for students to go through um, where it's a little more relaxed, where they're able to ask us questions back and forth, and we're able to get a higher capacity in then which allows us a slower-paced tour in the middle of the day Mm -hmm. uh, for families to be able to get more of that Washington information that they crave. Yeah, and if if you, dear listener, are are wondering, like, why why are these two guys just badgering on and on about logistics, uh, you know, I I, I, I love one of the things you just said there, that, you know, they, in early times, they weren't getting as much out of the tour, right? Because this is still supposed to be at its heart, an educational Absolutely. experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the tagline for this show is, you know, it's a show about early American history and the people that teach it, right? This is, this is supposed to be a teaching institution. It's not, it's not an amusement ride. Um, so how do you all even begin to teach, you know, a million people, million, 1.1, if I, if I don't get that right, our, our president <laughs> CEO will get on, on me. How do you even begin to teach 1.1 million people uh, a year? Yeah, well, it's a lot of a lot of work with a lot of great people. We have character interpreters who are around on the estate who help uh, add in some uh, areas. We we offer a lot of specialty tours to get into specific information. Uh, the enslaved people of Mount Vernon tour we have goes around the ground is a great. Uh, companion piece with the Lives Bound Together exhibition down in the museum. Um, And we incorporate a lot of that information that we get from our actual historians here on the estate, Uh, people like you and Mary Thompson and uh, Susan and and so forth, uh, to incorporate into what we do. Um, So we have to be very strategic in what we do in the mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ideally, we, we love to provide a 25, 30-minute tour through the house. We find that that, uh, given the, the size and the spacing, is kind of the ideal um, tour time. 
Uh, but during that peak season, we have to we have to cut it back a little bit. Um, so we have to look holistically at the whole house and objectives that we want to make sure that our guests come away with. Uh, and of course, now the the major objectives when you're coming to George Washington's house is how he lived, what his mm-hmm. life was like, his major legacies that he left behind. Of course, walking away from power multiple mm-hmm. times, not abusing the power entrusted in him. And then, of course, the story of the enslaved community that, that really made everything possible here. So we uh, take a look at every room and look at this grander story and then try to give our staff, the history interpreters, the opportunity to build it in their own voice based off of a system of, of objectives to hit mm-hmm. uh, so that there's a total story all the way through. Some days were a little better than, than others. You know, when we get to those 8,000 people, it really makes it difficult. I know our, on President's Day, it's free admission, and we had <laughs> 19,000 people come the, this year, 2018, yeah. and a couple years ago, we had over 22,000. So that definitely becomes a challenge. But, you know, at, at the heart of it, uh, really, is I, I have a wonderful staff of people who truly love where they work. They love the topic that they get to discuss, and I think that really comes out. Uh, we, we put our people in a position where they can answer questions down at the tomb or on these extra specialty tours or around on the grounds, and we're constantly reevaluating to see what else we can do to put them in a better position to mm-hmm. succeed. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't even, you know, it's, you know, we uh, traditionally this podcast before has been talking to a lot of uh, you know, the more like traditional academics that are, you know, writing books and you know, I mean, I'm guilty of it when I when I wrote my own book, right? I don't have to worry about how long it takes you to read it. I mean, my publisher might care about the length of the book, but that's more for like balancing costs mm-hmm. and 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 everything. Because um, you know, a book you can always just open back up and take take a break. But but you all have you know a fairly you know a limited time with the audience. Um, you know, I think we all like to think that when people come to a museum, they're just going to be there at nine o'clock and stay till five and and absorb everything. But I mean, uh, for us, what is the average uh, guest time? And then uh, how does that, uh, well, I'll let you answer that first. Uh, Yeah, your average guest is here on the estate for uh, in between really two and four hours Mm -hmm. uh, with most Hitting yeah. right there in the middle about that three-hour period. So you see folks who come in in the morning, they, they do everything, they have lunch here, and then they move on to another uh, site, or then they come in later in the afternoon. And, and we really see it at the mansion line. You yeah. know, once we get into the summer, the, it's really busy in the morning. Around lunchtime, it shrinks down. Yeah. There's not as many people, and then it builds back up again in the afternoon. Um, and the, the so it's two, four hours on the entire state. How much time does the mansion tour take on average? Uh, for the majority of the year, it's a 25, 30-minute tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking at, you know, three-quarters of the, of the year, really everything outside of that super peak season with yeah, the yeah. students. It's, it's about 25, 30 minutes. And is it fair to say that the mansion tour is the most sort of structured portion of what they're going to get when they're here? Yes, that it's, it is definitely the most structured. And, again, it's, it's so that we can accommodate. The goal of the Ladies Association is that everybody has mm-hmm. the opportunity to go through the mansion. Uh, so that that's why it's it's definitely yeah. the most structured with the time ticketing and everything. And so that that finally sets me up for the for the what I was trying to figure out how to make the second part of that other question. Um, how in the world do you take? Because we have we have the library, we have the preservation department, we have an archaeology department. Mm-hmm. 
so I mean, we've probably got, if, if you were to generically call all of those people with, you know, PhDs historians, right, because mm-hmm. they're, all, they're all doing history in some fashion, we've probably got as many PhDs as a small state university would have in mm-hmm. its history department. Well, we, have, we have several in my department, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, so how in the world do you all take, because PhDs are not known for being brief with their, their explanations. We can be a little wordy. So how in the world do you all take all that content that the, the historians of Mount Vernon produce and distill that down into a 20-minute tour? Once again, I that go it, back. That is, that is <laughs> approachable to everyone from the age of like, I mean, really call it like probably, what, five or six? Oh, yeah, we, we get all ages, yeah. all ages. And once again, I, there really is no magic bullet yeah. here. I would say that really it goes back to the wonderful staff that mm-hmm. I have. These people really love Mount Vernon. They really love the subject matter that they get to discuss. Um, so outside of kind of the interpretive plan, that's a mm-hmm. guideline for, hey, this is this is what we want to cover. This is the, the story we want to make sure we're getting across. We provide them with ample learning opportunities. They, mm-hmm. they come over to the book talks that you guys hold mm-hmm. over here at the library. Um, of course, uh, you come over and have spoken to my staff uh, on several occasions. On yeah, we do a, a, a strong continuing ed program here. Exactly, a strong continuing staff, education. Yeah. So what, what I tell my folks when they're brand new and I bring them in, you guys are history interpreters. You're not history regurgitators. I'm not going to yeah. give you a set script and you're just going to follow that. Um, you need to compile all the history and then be able to weave it in a fashion that our guests can understand Mm -hmm. and is also age-appropriate. So we have people who are former school teachers who Mm -hmm. are excellent at speaking to young children, um, middle school-age children, high school children, college-age young men and women. Uh, We also have a lot of former professionals in the government Mm -hmm. who just – love the idea of the public service and really connect on that level to adults of the same uh, of the same background. Uh, honestly, some of the best people we have who come in are the people who come in and say, I, I really don't know history all that well, but I just really love George Washington. And mm-hmm. you just get that passion behind. Uh, so really, it, we encourage them to learn as much as possible. Then through the structure of what we want to get across, they then can distill it down mm-hmm. and give it to our guests in a way that they are then passionate about. Uh, and I think through the majority of the year, you you really do see that. Um, we get hundreds of comments from our guests every single week. Uh, I read through every single one of them. And what always makes me feel good as a manager is when I see the comments that say, just very knowledgeable staff, very friendly. You can tell they enjoy what they do. In fact, right before I came over here, um, I was doing a phone interview to, to try and hire a new staff member, and it was a, a man who lives in the area. He's an annual pass holder. Can't underestimate the value of being an annual pass holder here. Uh, he came out and said, you know, I've done the tour many times, and one of the reasons why I wanted to apply is it just seems to me that the people working here enjoy it, mm-hmm. and that's very important. So um, once again, no, no magic bullet. I think it's making sure you get the right people who have the passion, give them all the information, 
and then they'll be happy to to put it in the construct that you you ask them to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just always so impressed when I go across the street or I have family visiting in town, and and uh, you know, sort of a blessing and curse of working up here on the library, which is across the street from uh, the main estate. For for our listeners that haven't had a chance to sort of uh, see us yet, um, is that I don't get across the estate that much, so a lot of the staff don't necessarily know that I also am staff, uh, and so when I you know bring my family and stuff. Uh, one of the things I'm just always amazed by is uh, your staff's ability to, um, as you, you sort of touched on, right, um, change the narrative depending on the group they're dealing with. I mm-hmm. mean, we, we can talk with everyone up here at the library. We'll talk with everyone from, uh, you know, we've had Fortune 500 company CEOs mm-hmm. to, you know, a, a middle school group coming through. But we know days, weeks, months in advance who it is. I can, I can sort of prepare accordingly, <laughs> adjust the PowerPoint slides. And, and for your staff, you know, the, the door to the mansion is opened. Yeah. We, well, 20 some... to 40 people come in, and that, that's who you're speaking to and you, yeah. who your staff has to speak to. And, it, and then, you know, there will be a totally different group. There can be a totally different sort of demographics of, of, uh, of just everything. Mm-hmm. And they have to, you know, adjust accordingly. Yeah. Um, well, they they are very good at, at adjusting because you you mentioned the the celebrities and all that. Well, we get that too, mm-hmm. and oftentimes with without yeah. the heads up. Um, uh, I remember sitting down to lunch, um, <laughs> and I got a phone call, and it was it was uh, I think it was oh it was it was one of my supervisors mm-hmm. came up to me, wrote on a piece of paper, says VP here. Well, which one? You know, we've got a, several vice presidents who mm-hmm. who work here at Mount Vernon. No, the vice president of the United States of America is mm-hmm. is is here. He's coming. Go give it to her. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so you know, I had to kind of drop everything. We we readjusted all of uh, you know our schedules and and uh, our president CEO Doug Bradburn, as you can imagine, was, was uh, happy to to take him on that. And then uh, I get a phone call from uh, one of our senior VPs. Uh, hey, Jeremy, Doug wants you to go along with him. Uh, oh, that's fine. Uh, I'm in my blue jeans today because it's a mm-hmm. weekend. Oh, no, that's okay. So I ended up giving a tour around the estate with Doug uh, to the vice president of the United States. That was that was interesting. And uh, we've had we had uh, a, a man approach one of our supervisors. She goes, I'm sorry, is there any way I can get some sort of special access or something? That the guests know who I am. And it's it's really it's causing a disturbance, and I don't want to mm-hmm. mess things up with how you guys. Uh, well, I, she she didn't re- doesn't really watch a lot of television. She goes, and I'm sorry, and who are you? And he goes, I'm Dog the Bounty Hunter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Mister Dog, if you want to follow yeah. me, we'll <laughs> so you know we, we get that sometimes, and you have to really adjust. And that's where my my supervisory staff mm-hmm. does a does a great job of of swooping in and moving things around and trying to make it so that you know we're we're not impacting our, our, our guests who paid their ticket to come in. Yeah. Um, but oftentimes these, these folks have a serious uh, security mm-hmm. concerns that uh, necessitate them having larger spaces, clearing yeah. out. I mean, I've, I've seen uh, Netanyahu. I've seen the King of Spain, uh, yeah. Prince Charles, uh, Harrison Ford, probably one of the coolest, coolest visitors yeah. here. I mean, how often do you say you get to meet Han Solo? So, mm-hmm. you know, these are all 
all you know, require they, special uh, special circumstances. So, so do you happen to know was our archaeology department really excited or kind of annoyed that Indiana Jones <laughs> had shown up? Well, you know, you'll get to this if you you ever interview them. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think our our head of archaeology, uh, Luke, is is probably cooler than Indiana yeah. Jones. So, you know, we 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 have our own little celebrities here. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's we we uh, it, it is funny that I don't think some people uh, fully appreciate how much Mount Vernon and your staff sometimes have to work with everyone from you know the Spanish Royal Guards, United States Secret Service, State Department security forces, um, which is funny, and you know because that's sort of a thing more now. Um, you know, I'm gonna. T- I, I'm going to tell my fun story about a, a famous visitor that just showed up here, even though I didn't meet him. But it's one when we were going through, and we'll post it on the, the show webpage um, so everyone can see I'm not lying. Uh, we were recently going through some of the archival footage that's just around uh, here at Mount Vernon from the Ladies uh, Association's archives. And uh, one of the staff members had went and grabbed uh, a recorder because you know they they'd heard that a VIP was going to be here. Uh, and it was it was Dwight Eisenhower, mm-hmm. who apparently was a rainy day in D.C. Uh, we found out we, we asked around after we, we found this footage and, and like, what, what the heck happened here. Uh, and Dwight, it was a rainy day in D.C. They didn't have a lot going on that day, which you, know, you can just imagine like the White House is just not busy that day. And Dwight just loaded up his staff and brought them down mm-hmm. to Mount Vernon. And so uh, one of the Mount Vernon staff members caught footage of Dwight Eisenhower walking down the path to the mansion just right past two women that were also visiting. And you can see the reaction shot on the <laughs> one woman's face as she realizes that she just, you know, had, had Dwight Eisenhower tip his hat to her and tell her, you know, good day. Mm-hmm. And, and she's just like, why, why is Dwight Eisenhower <laughs> here? Because um, that's, that's who uh, just shows up. I mean, I, uh, when uh, Prince Charles was here, I did not get the chance to meet him when he came to the library because I was busy on a phone call uh, with Apple and they're, they're like main Cupertino branch. And, you know, it's Apple. They're used to being like the big deal when you get on the phone with them. And they're like, oh, how are things at Mount Vernon? You're like, yeah, it's, security's a little tight. We have, you know, Prince Charles here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, makes it, for, it makes for a fun office setting. You yeah. know, you, you never know who is going to show up, what you're going to see. Um, but I will tell you that the most memorable interactions I've had are just with with regular the, guests, the regular yeah, yeah. American guests who's just made it a, a point in their life to come out to D.C. to visit the sites. I remember plenty of conversations down at the tomb, which is mm-hmm. people asking question after question after question. Um, in fact, I, I get so many that I've, I've started a uh, we're starting a uh, video series on uh, on our YouTube channel mm-hmm. where I'm answering some fun questions of that that don't often get asked but have very interesting answers. I got one up now on uh, George Washington, the six-star general. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's that been received pretty well. So, you know, it, it's it's when you can tell you've made an, a real impact on somebody's you know life, uh, mm-hmm. uh, just making a dream come true, that, that really makes it all worthwhile. Uh, and I, again, go back to my, my staff. That's I think it's those moments that they really – come away with uh, that help them, you know, do what they do so well. Yeah, I mean, I know we had a group uh, that I helped out with since, you know, one of the, the 
military historians here. Uh, there was a group coming through from Fort Belvoir that were you know, from from the hospital there, mm-hmm. a lot of them suffering from you know, various forms yeah. of PTSD, mm-hmm. and they were just doing an activity to get them out for the day. And you know, the, the, you know, somebody had asked, could I could I just talk to them a bit about you know what soldiers in the Revolutionary War went through, and they were you know they were you know ended up in tears mm-hmm. uh, of of in a way joy. Um, talking about how it was, in a way, comforting to know that, you know, because they, they go into boot camp and they hear all about Valley Forge and the, and the suffering of these soldiers, and it's, you know, held up at this, like, sort of iconic marble mm-hmm. painted image, right? You don't really, it's harder to, to sort of connect to it as a real um, thing. And we, we showed them some of the documents we have here in the library and, and, and some of the military history-related stuff we had. And, you know, they are saying it, it it meant a lot to them to realize that, the, these these American soldiers, you know, almost 250 years before, had been going mm-hmm. through the same thing they were, and that they weren't alone in. Because uh, one of the things we were talking about was, you know, after after war care and, um, you know, some of wh- how how it was handled in the Revolutionary War, yeah. uh, or after the war, I should say. And you know, it it that it that it was it, it helped them connect to the past in a way. They couldn't otherwise, uh, yeah. and I think that's something your staff is great at facilitating. Well, yeah, you brought me on to talk about yeah. public history, and ultimately, I think what makes public history so important is is making the connections, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, we we start the conversation for them to continue with you know, folks like yourself uh, to get into that academic history mm-hmm. and follow it up, um, and those connections are are it's so easy to make here. Uh, just your story. There reminded me one of um, one of my lasting memories. I was this was years and years and years ago. I was still working in in the mansion as a as a interpreter, and uh, John Marshall, who does a lot of our VIP tours mm-hmm. here, brought in a group as you were describing. They were uh, veterans, and there was a gentleman who was a veteran of World War II, mm-hmm. Korea, and Vietnam. Uh, he was wheelchair bound, and he had a Washington Redskins hat on. And we're in there, and we're just chatting, and he he just wanted to talk about the, the Redskins football mm. team. And I'm talking about George Washington, and we just kind of hit it off and going back and forth. And John comes up to me. He's like, hey, are we holding up the house or anything? Do I need to? I said, I think this gentleman's earned it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's earned it. Yeah. Uh, and he had the biggest smile on his face when he left. He said, you know, thank you so much for telling this story. It, it's great. Um, so, you know, I, again, it all comes down to making connections and um, when we're super busy, you you try to make it. Mm-hmm. You you just never know who you're going to impact. Um, you know, I I remember visiting Mount Vernon when I was in college, and just like wow, it, what a great place to be. I I mm-hmm. can see myself doing something like that. Um, so that's what we try to do. Yeah, well, sort of, um, just sort of wrap things up or put a pin on it. You know, like you said, you know, the, we one of the things we're trying to talk more about is public history and and how that's. Um, not different. Well, I mean, it is different, right? But but um, what uh, you know, the ways it differs from you know more traditional uh, academic forms of of storytelling, uh, and you know, you've got over a decade of experience in this now. Uh, what do you think are like one or two things? Uh, you, you can I'll let you. I'll give you an option. Kind of go a few ways with this. You know, what are two one or two things you think separated apart? Or that you wish uh, people understood more about the difference uh, in the two uh, or the value of it? Uh, sort of last saved rounds. 
That's a very interesting question because, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, this might just be it, my- And let me even back up, you know, or, you know, another way maybe to think about it is, you know, uh, a lot in the news, you know, in the past few years has been about um, commemoration, memorialization, right? But that's that's all a form of public history and storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I, but I don't think a lot of people like, fully appreciate sort of where those stories come from or, or, or how we all have to do that, you know, how, how this profession works. Mm-hmm. And so where you're, yeah, you wish they'd understand better. You know, I, I think the public historians, you know, really rely on a lot of the, the academic, at least here, mm-hmm. you know, we, we rely on it very much, uh, to get this information from you guys to be able to distill, but our job is to just make it accessible. Right. You know, we're, we're, Yeah, that's a, that's a very tough question. I don't, I don't, <laughs> well, so we in, saved it for last. Yeah, because yeah. in, in my mind, I, don't, I, I have never really separated mm-hmm. out so much between between the two because I don't think they are separate. I think they are just two two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. right? Um, you don't have one without yeah, the yeah. other. You know, what's the, what's the point of of having the super academic side of history yeah. if it's only for this really tiny club of people who who sit in in universities and, and are only talking to each other mm-hmm. right and then on the other side of it what's the what's the point of just telling stories about the past if you're not going to make sure that it's it's accurate and and vetted because that's where you start to get mm-hmm. a lot of the myth building and such and that's always been a problem when you're dealing with somebody like George Washington mm-hmm. right is you know that myth or building slavery. I mean, or, exactly you know that's one of the major aspects we have focused on mm-hmm. here at Mount Vernon is really revitalizing, revamping our our story. So I think that's probably the best avenue to discuss. I mean, when I when I started here uh, 11 years ago, we, we didn't shy away from it, but it was never an active kind of, oh, you know, we're going to discuss it in every aspect of the of the tour. We've got a slave life tour, mm-hmm. and we've got the slave quarters. If, you're if you want to know about it, it's over if there. If you want to go yeah. know about it, it's it's yeah. over there. And when I got into the positions um, that I was in as I was moving up, I said, you know, I, I really think we need to incorporate more of this, this story. And we were very fortunate that we had academics like Jesse mm-hmm. uh, McLeod and Susan Scholware and, and, and others um, who – were able to do a lot of this extraordinary research, you know, delve through all the letters, delve into uh, Washington's journals and piece together all these all these little facts and then put together a, a nice little story, um, a history that we are then able to, to educate the public. Again, I feel it's all about making the connection, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you provide us the, the, the level detail. We make the connections, and then we spark that interest for others going forward. So for me, uh, the academic side and the public history side are not separate. They mm-hmm. shouldn't be viewed as separate. They should, they should be viewed as, as in conjunction working together for the same, the same purpose. Well, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly why we're trying to do <laughs> this uh, this podcast, this, this new uh, this new series on the show. So uh, thank you so much for uh, coming. And we didn't we didn't preload him with that answer either. By the way, no, um, no. actually put me on the spot. I had yeah. to <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for for coming on the show. This was All great. Right, welcome. Yeah, anytime. And um, you know, we can always further the conversation mm-hmm. in D.C. at a soccer stadium somewhere.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.